The failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. We need a president who respects science, who understands that the damage from climate change is already here. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins. A brief explainer about the backbone of this podcast. The series follows the views, the campaigns, the ideas of Dale Vince, the entrepreneur and environmentalist. He built his success in the green energy sector. He's the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company, and also happens to be the chairman of Forest Green Rovers. The whole point of this on a weekly basis is that each episode we bring you the dominating issues from the biggest agenda on the planet right now, the environment and climate change and there is an awful lot to get through this morning dale we'll come to how farmers and blue peter have fallen out in just a bit because that's a cracking story but let's start off with what i suppose inevitably is a thread on on this program co2 levels reaching new record highs and you kind of every time you turn a page and read one of these stories you hope it's going to have the very opposite headline but it hasn't yeah, it's been a fun week, actually, isn't it? We've been having a bit of fun. And as you say, there's an awful lot in the news. This one, yeah, I mean, as, as, I don't know what I can say, really. It's just not unexpected and obviously not what we want or need. Um, and, and it just reinforces, I guess, the need for particularly COP26, which might be another story we're going to cover in a minute, but for that to be successful, you know, to have a good outcome. A lot of people would listen to this and, and, and think, you know, particularly if they're new to the arguments, might say, hang on a second, you know, we've never had. I know it's not perfect. And, you know, Boris's plan, you are not particularly enamored with. In fact, you think it's a crock of shite, frankly. But nonetheless, if you looked across the world, you think, well, surely we're doing more things to save the environment now than we were doing five years ago. So how is how are COT levels rising well we're still pumping the stuff out aren't we i mean that's the problem and it's accumulating in the atmosphere so you know we are uh, we are doing more to reduce that and and you know we're probably putting out less now than we that we have done let's say you know uh, maybe 10 years ago or something like that uh, but of course it's accumulating that's the problem we have to stop emissions before levels in the atmosphere get too high and drive uh, global temperature you know beyond the uh, reckoned to be safe limit one and a half degree temperature rise we're on the threshold of you know busting those targets at the moment and there's just so much more we need to do and you know boris johnson i mean oh yeah i mean it's it's sad i don't i don't uh, enjoy thinking his plans are shite but you know i mean we had the 10 pointless plan we all want to think our prime minister's plans are great don't we wherever we politically we'd like to think well you know i don't agree but he's onto something here but that clearly hasn't hasn't happened now, we want better, don't we? I mean, this is a government that supports opening new coal mines, new runways, new gas-fired power stations, shutting down subsidies for electric cars. You know, they they pull in all the wrong directions. And if you look at how our government handled the pandemic, actually, which, you know, kind of began about 12 months ago, uh, I would say there are probably a lot of parallels with how they're handling this uh, climate um, pandemic, if you want to call it that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they're, they're doing it badly. They're, that you know they're they're not getting started fast enough. They're not doing the right things, uh, and, and in fact they're doing the wrong things. You know, but you know that is what it is. I'm not kind of 
downbeat or downheartened by any of that. But you brought it up. Um, yeah, it, we've got very yeah. high levels of CO2 and uh, it just means we've got to try harder. Well, you wonder whether that trying harder will, will happen as a result of COP26. I know this week John Kerry says it's the last best opportunity to get real. Um, is he right about that, do you think? Is it is it that significant? Because many people see summits and, and powwows as a kind of a almost a token thing. You know, folks sit around a table for six hours, they have a chin wag, they make some announcements, and everyone forgets about it for five years. Yeah, it can definitely look like that. I think he's right insofar as he says last and best. Uh, so it's not our last chance, definitely, but it might be our last best chance yep. because, you know, um, there's a decade within which we really need to take big steps. And, and I think if we don't get progress at COP26, then we won't have made the best use of that decade. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, but, you know, we shall see. And there's been a lot of talk, uh, I think we covered it last week, about postponing COP into the spring in order to make sure that it is successful because it's, it's kind of being rushed. It's being done in the face of a probable fourth wave of the coronavirus around the world. Yeah. Uh, there's a big risk, you know, 20,000 people coming to Glasgow for that. A lot of people saying spring would be a better time. And you know, I, I have some Well, I noticed that. that Greta Thunberg announced today that she's not attending for the, I think, for the very reasons you just touched on because of concerns over the impacts of the pandemic yeah yeah quite right so better to uh, have it a little bit late than uh, than have a bad one um i think is is the uh, is the theme but we should see what happens i've got a feeling our government will press on with it anyway yeah seems that way here's a question from matthew on twitter i'm shocked i'm shocked matthew shocked dale this is already an intriguing tweet i'm shocked that you've joined the corporate narrative that individuals have more responsibility than banks and huge corporates who have done everything they can to keep fossil fuel businesses going. Why? This could be a reference to perhaps what happened this week with Barclays, and you and I had, a, um, along with Extinction Rebellion, had a debate on the radio about this. I think perhaps that's what Matthew's referring to. I think, I think he probably is. And, um, you know, I think it's a mistake what, what, what he says, I've said, or my position, that's, that's not correct. You know, I don't think people have more responsibility individually than uh, big corporates do. Uh, the point I was making was that um, we have responsibility as well. And if we're going to call on the big corporates to change what they do, we should at the same time make the changes ourselves. So the case sure. in point was talking to Gail, as you say, on, on your radio show a few days ago. It was about the window smashing of Barclays in London. And I was only really saying that, in my opinion, I thought it was a mistake to smash windows. I think it will repel people from the cause more than it will attract them. And actually, we need to be persuading people. And the point I made to Gail was a simple one, or I, I thought it was, and harmless, which was that she and I, we disagree on um, on food. She thinks it's okay to eat animals. I, I think it's not. I think we can't fight the climate crisis that way. And it, it's wrong. I didn't go around smashing her windows when we first had that conversation. And, and I was only trying to make the point that smashing people's windows when you disagree with them is not the right thing to do. It's not how you persuade people. So, you know, it doesn't mean I'm on the side of the banks. I'm definitely still on the side of XR. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is XR, I think there are better ways to get people on board. And what we need, of course, is to get a lot of people on board. Our work with the Daily Express has been about that exactly, about talking to a different audience, people that don't get it, that aren't yet on board. We need them on board. And we aren't going to get them on board by smashing windows, I don't think. There's somebody else you need to get on board as well. Welcome back. It's I feel we should have a kind of a, a drum roll here. So welcome back into the narrative. Gareth Wynne-Jones, everybody's favourite farmer, Dale. 
<laughs> yes, he could be, couldn't he? Well, this guy had a pop. Let's just remind everybody, he had a pop at you, didn't he, a, um, a little while ago? Yeah, and it's it's about it's about food, you know, that subject again, which is a very emotive subject, isn't it? And, you know, I mean, quite simply, you, you can't hope to fight the climate crisis unless you change what you eat. And that was my message to Gail and it's what we talked about today. And this is where I bumped into Hugh in the past as well. He's one of those people who has the view that it's okay to graze sheep in his case uh, yep. for meat and that meat has a role to play in in our diets and our futures and all this kind of stuff. And it's fine. I, I've got no problem with the fact that he holds that view. I do disagree. I mean, one of the classic views of uh, people like Hugh, farmers like Hugh, is that the only thing you can do with this land is grow grass. It's not good for anything else. And and my response to that is, well, you don't have to do anything with it. Just let sure. it go. Give it, you know, let nature have it. We don't have to graze animals. And a lot of the wildlife depletion in our country comes from grazing. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I just disagree with him. He talks very much about his, what he does as being regenerative agriculture and, and, and top quality proteins and that kind of stuff. Well, I, I absolutely disagree that they're top quality. They're harmful to human health. And, uh, you know, grass is regenerative, but that land will regenerate and be quite happy left alone, Hugh. Well, you'll be quite glad to know that he's taken his eyes off you, Dale, and he's <laughs> <Yes>. now angry <laughs> with this programme. Blue Peter has upset Gareth, um, along with some parents, apparently, because Blue Peter is encouraging kids to stop eating meat. Uh, this hasn't, and go vegetarian, and this hasn't gone down very well with Gareth and others. He's yeah. Yeah, no, I saw that. And, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's a bit shocking to see, really. You know, people are slagging off the BBC for pushing their agenda on kids, and as well as uh, Blue Peter, obviously. And, and you know, uh, I think Gareth is saying that, you know, we... You know, we shouldn't be pushing this on kids and telling them what food is good and what food is bad. But like, uh, hang on a second, as parents, surely, and as teachers, uh, that's exactly what we should be doing, telling them what's good and what's bad. And there's no doubt that animal products are bad and plant products are good. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. All of the scientific evidence is there, whether you're talking about the environment or whether you're talking about human health, that's a fact. One of the things I noticed doing radio, Dale, is when somebody is angry with you, and they send a text or an email. They always use your surname, but never your first name. It's always, <laughs> it always starts with Collins. And in a similar vein, Toby on Facebook, Vince takes a job with the UN, gets friendly with Amazon, and now sides with the banks. He's always been a capitalist plant. Wake up, everybody. There you go. Toby's rumbled you, Dale. At least I'm a plant. So, uh, you know, there's some, true, yeah. there's some good in that. Take the wrong analogy there, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, we've kind of just touched on all of that stuff. And, you know, some of the things that I know that you do, you know, is it's about getting people on side as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of a, a number of things that Amazon does, you know, the way it treats its workers and that kind of stuff. You know, that doesn't change. But uh, they're part of a, of a program that's getting big businesses on board to to set ambitious climate targets and, you, you know, just get them kind of into the tent and, uh, you know, making progress. And they asked if we would join because of the work we've done, not because of our size. And we said, yeah, we'll do that because better – Better that than just turning your back on people and not having a conversation. And, you know, that's the reason we work with the Daily Express, for example. Yeah. But I think another good example, it goes back, and again, we've got more questions. Shame on you for turning on XR. And, of course, you didn't turn on XR, and we've made that point. And, but what's interesting about 
the debate we had on the radio. So there was, for those who didn't hear it, myself obviously chairing it, and Dale was on with Gail from, who's, I think I'm right, the founder of Extinction. Uh, yeah, co-founder, I think. Yeah, yeah. co-founder, as well as uh, now the spokesperson. Um, what's fascinating about that, that interview then made the Times newspaper, it made the local newspapers, it made various other news outlets as well. So I actually think, as a result of your inclusion in that discussion, that actually more positive headlines came out of the story than would have come out of the story previously. Yeah, and more headlines, actually. You know, our, Many our, more headlines. Yeah, yeah, Our guy Will scanned media afterwards and said, actually, the, the stunt itself didn't get a lot of coverage at all. I don't think that was because of our conversation. I just think, you know, breaking windows uh, in, in that kind of set-up kind of way. It's not that shocking. And this is one of the problems. I mean, I've been in a few discussions online with XR people and other people about this. And, you know, one of the points made is we have to keep getting attention. This is what they say. But sure. but, but the downside of that is you have to escalate every time because, you know, smashing windows becomes the new normal. Then you've got to do something else. Yeah. And so I don't think it's a sustainable strategy for getting people on board and, and, and making change. You know, yes, you've got to get attention and bring attention, but also you've got to engage and persuade people. Uh, here's a story that should disturb anyone. A third of land species, half in the sea, face extinction if climate change isn't slowed. And again, it's one of those stories that we have touched on before, but once in a while the headline comes up and it smacks you right in the chops and you realise just how serious. A third of land species, half of sea species, extinct if we don't slow down climate change. Yeah. But it doesn't, it does, you'd think if you want a headline to be tangible to people, it would be something like that. Yeah, and, and you know what? Sometimes these environment stories contain facts that are so shocking, people think they can't be real. Um, it's the same when you, uh, let's just bring it back to food. If you talk about factory farming and how animals are treated in factory farms, some people find that so shocking that they think it's not real. It's vegan propaganda. And, you know, there you have those statistics on species extinction. We're in the sixth great extinction. All of the facts tell us that globally. Um, Britain has lost 97% of its wildflower meadows in the last 50 years. 97%, you know, that can't be real, can it? I mean, that's crazy. Yep. Uh, but this is the world we live in. And, you know, We've reached a point as a species where there are so many of us and our technology is so great, our machines are so big and so effective that we are terraforming the world. We're destroying it, actually, um, but we are, we are literally changing the world that we live in. A couple more questions. Ben says, uh, have you watched any of the extreme e-racing yet? And what are your thoughts on the series? Tell us more about this. Ben. Oh, I didn't know it had started, but I knew that it was a thing. I had a, a pitch deck uh, a few months ago from the guys organizing it, uh, offered us a, a team, actually. And I, actually, I just wanted the car. The car looks fantastic. And uh, the cost of entering a team was too high. But um, I mean, it looks brilliant. It's, uh, it's a global race series, electric vehicles, mixed gender teams, and and the paddock is a ship. So instead of flying the stuff around the world, they just stick it on a ship and sail to the next destination. So there's a, there's a lot of thought and care gone into the concept, and uh, hopefully it's, it's going to raise uh, you know a lot of awareness and attention to uh, to the issues. And here's one you really couldn't make up: environmental groups and the Greens have questioned the appointment of a former Origin Energy Chief Grant King. So this guy worked in. You know, right of the coalface, literally, of <laughs> fossil fuels. Uh, he's now been appointed the new chairman of the Climate Change Authority. In Australia. In Australia, this is, yeah. yeah. So that's fine. That's all you need to know. It's in Australia. <laughs> so, 
doesn't count. <laughs> we, we, you know, we, we don't expect more than that. Uh, the, that's how the whole, it is. Yeah, I mean, Australia, as I understand it, are, you know, we think we're way behind on things. Apparently, yeah. we're really struggling. Is that right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, terrible. Just, yeah, absolutely. It's like that. Yeah, maybe they're 10 years behind where we are and we're 10 years behind where we need to be. So let's get the man who has dedicated his life to fossil fuels to now be a an impartial chairman of the climate change authority i mean unless it could be maybe we're being cynical here maybe this man has changed maybe grant king is now a a force for the good and he's looked back at his terrible coal-based ways i love his name grant king it's like you know i'm just thinking here subsidies in the fossil fuel industry his man called grant king from the fossil fuel industry but look this is is, the king gave us that money this is a this is a trumpian type move isn't it if you look at what trump did in office he appointed a lot of people to positions of power in the epa for example you know the environment protection agency that were actually uh, directly opposed mm. to the to the agencies and the purpose sure. of the agencies that they were they were then appointed to run. So it's been done before. Chris on Facebook says we'd love to see more video of your wind turbines on social media. Uh, you say your first windmill is twenty five years old. How much longer can you keep it going? Good question. And yeah, you know, I'm so surprised. I've been posting pictures and last week or a few days ago, put a little video up from uh, one of our maintenance team and it's been so popular. And uh, somebody today was saying to me, I didn't know there was a ladder on the outside. There's somebody that lives here in Stroud. He says, I've seen the windmill, you know, so many times, but it's got a ladder on the outside. Who knew? And I think, you know, it's easy to take for granted what you know. And, yeah. and I'm, of course, very familiar with all of our windmills and stuff. So I think I'm going to do that, Chris. I'm going to, you know, stick more videos out, stick more stories out and just, just share with people. How much longer can we keep it running? That's a good question. I mean, it's still running, so I just don't know. And they were designed to have a life of 20 to 25 years. But it was a theoretical design, and it's German-made, yeah. and I think they make things really rather well. So we're what just going to have to see. Working then, what would what, what would bring a, an active windmill to a halt? Well, the thing is, most of the parts are replaceable. So, I mean, the the blades, for example, um, I don't know how long they last—probably twenty years—and then you replace them. We have had generator issues, but it was a prototype when we built it, um, so we've replaced the generator. I, I mean, your main components are blades, generator, and tower. And the tower's concrete, uh, which is quite weird. And it must have a life of probably 50 years being concrete. So maybe that's the long lead item. But, you know, windmills have moved on massively in 25 years. And I was thinking the other day that um, maybe I should think about repowering that site, taking the old windmill down and putting up a new one. But I haven't really looked into it yet in terms of how that would work economically, you know. And you also need a massive bucket of white Dulux as well. To paint them. Just to keep them nice and pristine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. it's a weird choice you know the, the color of windmills a lot of people won't won't know they'll still think the industry chose it but that's dictated by planning there's an actual color uh, a row color i think it's 901a and oh, right. that's the that's the color you have to have well uh, you don't get the choice and, but you know a lot of people say oh god why'd you paint them white so they're so visible well mm, it's not our choice i actually think they look nice though i mean yeah. i know the jury divides uh, the, the, the out on that and it does divide the room but actually when you see a kind of a hillside full of them i think actually that's aesthetically rather pleasing yeah but if you look at all the opinion polls ever undertaken in britain since the 90s and most of them have been undertaken by the government as well as universities by opposition groups as well as support groups they all show the same thing 70 percent of people support wind energy yep um so you know there is a division but it's not like a 50 50 split 
Uh, two quick questions. Uh, Helen says, Dale, I'm a Daily Express reader. New to your cause, how is the land fundraising going? Uh, fabulous. Well, uh, <laughs> welcome, Helen, to the cause. Uh, it's just fab to hear from an Express reader. We, we were having a chat yesterday, uh, me and the Express team. We have this great kind of get together every week to talk about what's going to happen in the next week. And uh, this came up and we we're at £23,000. Uh, raised for the land and there's going to be another big push next week and see if we can't get it over the line. I'm off down there next week actually to meet with uh, with the team to shoot right. some videos and that's all part of the coverage we're going to give it next week. Superb. And Stephen says, uh, love the podcast chaps. Dale, I've bought four of your books. Uh, one for me and three for my mates. <laughs> that's brilliant. <All> right. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's well done. Thanks Stephen. Uh, that's it Dale. Uh, we will speak in a week's time. Yeah, thanks, Ian. See you later. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider. It means you get each new episode automatically. Do leave a review there as well. Really important bit, you want to follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince and facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero carbon. East off.